everyone. How's everybody doing today? Blessed. Blessed huh? Too blessed to be stressed? Yeah. Woo. <laughs> All right. Very good. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. All right. Let me uh, welcome every one of you, first and foremost. Thank you for being here today. And um, there's, a lot, there's a lot going on throughout the week, as, uh, as Ken has mentioned to you. So we want you to be understanding of what we're doing on a regular basis. Uh, thank you for being here for Resurrection Sunday. As I said in our prayer, uh, and I've said this morning, I'll say it again. For us, Resurrection Sunday is just the beginning. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ every Sunday. As a matter of fact, some of you celebrate it every day. This is something that we do on a regular basis. And uh, wow, I'm glad to see all the people back here. Great. We have a, we have a, a program for the children as well. If they want to, uh, who's going to be leading them out there? Um, <coughs> Winter and uh, and who? Who's going to be who's going to be going, um, leading them out there? We have kids uh, that are that want to be a part of the kids program. Oh, they're like beautiful. Winter and uh, Chloe, can you guys uh, run out there and and just watch over and and and, uh, and Jan? Okay, very good. We have a nice little. Uh, section out there for them so they can go out and just have a good time and enjoy that that moment hey yeah and uh, we we want to we want to welcome everybody else that's here the, the problem with the kids going out is that uh, that's half the church <laughs> bring them back bring them back no <laughs> we want them to have a good time as well all right so first uh, Thessalonians we're going to go into first Thessalonians chapter 1 now, for those of you that were here on Friday, which we called Good Friday, which is probably one of the worst Fridays of all history. For those of you that have been here, that, that were here, I think we can pretty much summarize the whole message because the question was asked, why the cross? Why the cross? And what I wanted to do was to go back and answer that quest question because crucifixion wasn't a Jewish thing. It wasn't a way to persecute or to punish or to execute anybody uh, according to Jewish custom. For the Jews, they used to stone people or they, or they would hang them, uh, or I mean, I'm sorry, or they would um, uh, drown them or stone them or, you know, set them on fire uh, is what they would do. But, for the, um, but for, the, for the Jews, crucifixion, the cross was just not something that they did. Matter of fact, the Romans only s used to put that aside and use it for the vilest of, and the cruelest offenders. And they, they, they wouldn't even crucify their own Roman citizens. They wouldn't crucify women or anybody in the Senate. Um, it was just for the worst of the worst. And so the question is asked, why the cross? Where did that come from? And, and we took a little bit of history going back and realized that the crucifixion actually didn't come into play until about three or 400 years before Jesus Christ was even born. And we know that the Parthians are the ones that had uh, invented it. They wanted to do it to, to teach people not to go against the Parthians. And the Romans are the ones that perfected it. And so crucifixions were being done all the time. And, and at the time, that Jesus, right before Jesus was born, there was an uprising, an insurrection of a lot of um, uh, the, the people that were coming up against the Roman Empire. And, and so they, they crucified over 2,000 people in just one day. Now, it is estimated that there were over 30,000 crucifixions in Judea alone 
at the time of Jesus Christ. So for anybody to hear about a crucifixion, everybody knew what it meant. Everybody knew, understood what, what it was. But again, why the crucifixion? And, and so when you go back even further, what we did on Fridays, we just went back and, and looked at the Word of God and, and how it was that God had prepared this and had stated this and how through the Old Testament, the scriptures that we saw, that He was to be pierced, He was to be hung, He was to be humiliated. That's what was, was supposed to happen. And I don't have time to go through all of that, but I do, I do, I do believe that we have it recorded. But to summarize Friday's message, the one thing that we came, I came away with it is, well, first of all, because it was already prophesied. And so bottom line, because God said so. God said so. A cross. It was already prophesied. There was going to be a crucifixion, a suffering of the Messiah. It was already, uh, it was already uh, prophesied and stated that that was going to happen. Those are the things that were to take place. And when that happened... Uh, and it, people were surprised. They were kind of like, wow, how did that happen? Why did that happen? You know, what took place there? Why did it happen in that fashion, that manner? Uh, you know, they, they just understand it, and they didn't know the scriptures. And when Jesus Christ resurrected, and, and this is what we celebrate today. Friday was the crucifixion. Today we celebrate the resurrection. Amen? Because without a resurrection, there wouldn't be anything. There would be no celebration of the resurrection. There wouldn't be no afterlife. There wouldn't be no resurrection at all. And so we need to be thankful for the resurrection. We need to thank God that, that not only did, was his son crucified and he was punished for our sins, not for the sins that he committed. Because in the sacrificial system, the, the lamb that was sacrificed was to symbolize the one to come and that lamb that was sacrificed, all their sin was washed away at that point in time. And throughout the year, they would come and they'd bring turtle doves, they'd bring grain offerings, they would bring peace offerings, they would bring uh, leavened bread, they would bring fruit offerings. They would bring all these various types of offerings for the sin that they had committed, them and their family, or the sin that they understood that they had committed, or maybe would be committing. And so on a regular basis, there was always a blood offering. When Jesus Christ was sacrificed, and going back now two Sundays to our Seder service, the lamb that was sacrificed, you come to understand that that needed to happen. God had already prophesied it. He set it apart. And because God said so, that's why there was a crucifixion. So we can summarize today's message by saying, why the resurrection? Because God said so. Okay, we're done. You can go home now. No, we still have a little bit more to go. <laughs> I can just close it out right there, and we can just be satisfied that why the resurrection? Because God said. He said it. He said that that was going to happen. It was in the Old Testament as well as uh, in the New Testament of all the things that were to come. Now, as we get into this letter, 1 Thessalonians, and the reason we're in 1 Thessalonians this morning is because of the resurrection, because of the reference to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but more importantly because, well, not more importantly, but also because we have just finished the book of Colossians, and before that, it was the, the other the letters that, uh, that came before that, and so we're just moving through the New Testament. And next Sunday, we start on 1 Thessalonians. So I wanted to give you an introduction as to what we're doing here on Sunday mornings. How we go verse by verse, uh, chapter by chapter, and book by book, and to see what God's Word says. So we don't leave anything out. There's a lot that we still leave out because there's so much packed into these verses. But we get the gist of it of what God is trying to tell us and show with, share with us. 
There are a lot of, a lot of things that people have misunderstood for many years, and we're going to talk about one of them today. And you've misunderstood as to why it is that we come to church, why it is that we repent, why it is that we celebrate, why it is. And people just, you know, just add this to one thing that they do once a week. And, and we come together on a, on a Sunday basis. We, we mark the box off. It's okay. I'm with the church. I'm done. And so in the process of First Thessalonians, pa- Paul wrote this letter. First of all, he was happy to see the Christians just growing. They were just developing and they were just, they, they were on fire. And they were maturing. And so Paul wrote this letter to encourage them to keep on. He says, you know, I understand that some of you guys are wondering about the people that have died before you. Those that are in Christ and they have died. And and the resurrection that's going to happen or the rapture when Jesus Christ returns. And and more importantly, the resurrection. What about those that have died? And when Jesus returns, what about those that are in the grave? And so Paul writes to them. And we'll talk about that in chapter 4. And he writes to them. He says, um, and it's in the coming of the Lord, verse 13, he says, but we, don't, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as the others who have no hope. And so Paul's purpose of this letter was to give you hope. He didn't want you to grieve and be misinformed. And, and, and um, he didn't want you to be without knowledge of what was going on. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even though Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you and by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. He goes on to say that there's going to be a loud command, a loud cry, a trumpet blast. And those that are dead in Christ first shall rise and they will be caught up in the air. And those of us who are left behind, we will be caught up with him also. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us hope that one day we will see our loved ones. For those who have died in Christ, that one day we will be caught up with him. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us hope. Without the resurrection, there would be no hope. There would be no hope. You can last three weeks without water. You can last, excuse me, without food. You can last three, three days without water. You can last uh, three hours, uh, three minutes without air. But you cannot last one second without hope. And for many people that, that live in, this, in our culture, in our society today, th- there seems to be no hope. The way the government is moving, the way things are falling out of place instead of into place. And the way everything seems to be falling apart and people have lost hope. The resurrection gives us hope. Somebody say amen. Because that's what we need. We need hope. And if it wasn't for the resurrection, there would be no hope. Let me just go back a little bit further and uh, just share with you some of the verses in the Old Testament on how the writers in the New Testament used to be able to understand what God was doing from the very beginning. Jesus Christ resurrected because God said so. In Psalm 16, verse 10, he says, For you will not abandon my soul to shoal, or let your Holy One see corruption or decay. You will not see my, let my body just decompose, but you will resurrect it. You will bring it back to life, was one of the verses that they use in Psalms 22. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. Oh, you, my help, come quickly at my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of dogs. Save me from the mouth of lions. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild beast. 
And God has rescued him, has pulled him out of the grave, and has resurrected. And in Isaiah chapter 53, it says this, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him first and foremost. It was God's will. God said so. He was going to crush him. He was going to put him on a cross, and he was going to crush him. And he was going to crush him because that's exactly what God had said he wanted to do. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. Another reference to the resurrection. So why the resurrection? Because God said so. Because God said so. Out of the anguish of his soul, he will and be satisfied by knowledge of my, the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. And in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said this. You know, you remember that story about Jonah and the great fish? Do you remember that story, how Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days? And in three nights, Jesus said this, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so it was already prophesied. It was already talked about. The resurrection was to take place, and it was going to happen. And, but yet, first and foremost, the crucifixion had to precede the resurrection. And we talked about the cross on Friday, and we talked about those things that reflect the cross. And Jesus himself said, you know, here's the one thing about the cross. The one thing about the cross is this, is that, first of all, in plain and understanding what the cross meant, the cross meant it, 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 just, it just takes you. You can't barter with the cross. You can't argue with the cross. You can't try to uh, sidestep the cross. Either you embrace it and die on it or you run away from it. And the cross was never meant to be a piece of jewelry or something you hang on your walls or in your rearview mirror or a bumper sticker you put on your car. The cross always meant death. It always demanded death. It always demanded to take the life of the one person that was being laid upon it. And before Jesus Christ, Christians didn't want anything to do with the cross. And it was this symbol of execution that the apostles carried forward and said, this is what you must do. You want to follow Jesus Christ? Jesus said this, anyone who comes after me, he must deny himself, number one, Take up his cross daily, number two, and then he needs to repent. Three things. And what Jesus Christ had said to his disciples, and he said, you have to follow me. You want to follow me? Those, that's the requirement. And a little bit later, he said, anyone who does not take up his cross is not worthy of me. And he said this from the very beginning, knowing full well what the cross meant. And as he was crucified and resurrected, the, this is the message that the apostles shared with everyone. And many people were cut to the heart. Many people have come to understand that they too needed to at least at some point follow Christ in such a way that you deny yourself of this world, deny yourself of the pleasures, deny yourself of the things and take up your cross and follow him. The cross means at least four things and I'm just going to touch on them today. And when we get to it in 1 Thessalonians, we'll go over it a little bit more. 
But Paul is writing to encourage the people. He's writing there to, to help them to see that what they're doing is, is good work and give them some more instruction and, and to be able to, to move forward in their church in Thessalonica. But in verses 9 and 10, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We have Bibles for you. We'd like to give you one. Uh, but if you just didn't bring one because for whatever reason, uh, a lot of times we make it very easy for you not to have a Bible. And the reason I say that is because we give you an outline with the verses on it. We, we show the verses up here as well. So many times people just say, well, I, I don't need to bring my Bible because they got things there. But we want you to have a Bible in your hand because I want you to read not only what, I've, what I'm sharing with you, but everything before and afterward. We want you to take your word home. We want you to experience Jesus Christ through his word. So if you need a Bible, let us know and we'll, we'll give you one. Uh, Ken is back there. With, with Bibles, if you need one, just raise your hand. But I'm in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Oh, one other thing. I just found this out on Friday. I've had these Bibles now for some time. A year, I think. I don't know how long we had those Bibles. About a year, yeah. I just realized that the Bibles that we're handing out today coincide with the Bible that I use here. In other words, if I were to say turn to page 987, you'd be on the same page that I'm on in that Bible. And so for those of you that are having a hard time with, you know, finding the chapters and verses, because I can say go to 1 Thessalonians, it's very simple to find. It's really easy to find. It's right next to 2 Thessalonians. <laughs> so, you know, if you know where 2 Thessalonians is at, you'll know where 1 is at. But, but now I, I just realized that I have a way of giving you the information instead of, you know, and, and it'll take some time to recognize and re know where they're at. So it's the exact same Bible and page numbers. Only difference is the, uh, the bound, the leather bound. That one is, I think, um, I, I don't know, but it's still a good Bible. First Thessalonians, page 986, if you'd like to turn there. Uh, it says in verses 9 and 10, For they themselves report concerning us the reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Father in heaven, thank you once again for this Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that you sent and not only paid for my sin on the cross, but also was resurrected, raised from the dead. What, a, what an amazing story. But more than that, what an amazing act of what you've done. For we know that every person that we've ever laid to rest in our life Every loved one is still in that tomb, is still in that grave until the day that you return. Jesus Christ, you raised him from the dead and he now stands and he sits at the right hand of you, my God, with power and authority, waiting to come back. So help us to glean the information from these verses to be able to apply to our life today. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone says, Amen. Amen. The resurrection, number one in your outlines. The resurrection demands repentance. The resurrection demands repentance. And for many people that have come to church for many times, many years, you, you probably heard, you know, repent. And you said, well, I repented. I raised my hand. I came forward. It's one of the reasons I'm at church now is because I repented. Repentance is flipping to you, turning around. Uh, repentance is a little deeper than that. Repentance is more than belief. Repentance is more than just saying, I come to church, that I'm a Christian. I mean, there are a lot of people that claim to be Christians, and, and, and I pray that you follow, uh, according to the word, what repentance means. Because 
from the very beginning, well, first of all, here in this verse, in verse 9, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception. There was this reception. There was this welcoming, this, 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 this church that was gathering down. The, the word for church is ecclesia, where we get our word kiosk from. Kiosk is a gathering place. It's a place where people gather. There's certain clubs that call their meetings church. There's certain organizations and some groups and nonprofit organizations that call their gatherings church. They call it church because that's what it is. It's a gathering place. It's a place where those that are a part of that community come and gather. It's a kiosk in a sense. And for a lot of people, they come to church because that's where we gather. I marked it off. I've gone to church. I've done my business. Let me out of here. I've come, you know, and, and for a lot of people that don't want to be a part of that group or need to be a part of that group or have to be a part of that group, okay, I got to go to this meeting. I got to be at the company picnic. I got to go and gather with the rest of the people that are like-minded, that work together, that we're working for one goal. And it's kind of a dread for some. Some people really like these things anyways. I mean, I, I, you, you do, because once you get there and you start, you know, working with people and talking to people, it, it becomes exciting. But it's always this type of a dread, I got to go. And as a matter of fact, for a lot of people in church, they say, I have to go to church. I got to go to church. You see, those that are called out, those that are coming together in the name of Jesus Christ want to be here, desire to be here, long to be here. We, the doors open and I just desire to be with God's people. And when, you, when, when Paul is writing this, he says, you know, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you received us, and we just long to be with you, and I want to get back to you, Paul says. And then he says from there, he goes on to say, uh, if we received from you uh, the reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols. You see, this church in Thessalonica, we will learn that it was a, a center, a cesspool of just idolatry, various idols, various gods. The, the Christians that lived there, they would call them atheists. Believe this. They would say, you guys only have one God? You guys must be atheists because we have a lot of them. We have a God for a motorcycle. We have a God for the sun. We have a God for the water. We have a God for the moon. We have a God for, we have all kinds of gods. You guys only have one? And his name is Jesus? And they killed him? They murdered him? You only have that one God? And what they did is that when they came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, they put all those gods aside, including their motorcycles or chariots, excuse me, including all the things that they had. And, and they said, you know what? We want to surrender. We are repenting. We are turning. As a matter of fact, that's the message that John the Baptist had given us. He says, bear fruits. He says, bear fruits in Luke chapter 3, verse 8. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. In other words, don't begin to say to yourself, well, I got a church. I got a religion. You know, my mama was a Baptist, and so and my grandma was a Baptist, so that makes me a Baptist. I, I'm good. I, go to, I have a religion. I have Abraham. I have all these qualifications. My father is from Abraham. My mother is from Abraham. My dad is a, is a Christian. My mama was a Christian. My grandma was a Christian, so therefore that makes me a Christian. I live in a Christian nation. Everybody around me is Christian. We all say we're Christians. John says, don't, don't go around saying that you're Christian. For I tell you, God is able to raise these stones to raise up children for Abraham. You know, if God wanted to, he can make Christians out of rocks. And that's what I believe some Christians have turned into. Hard-headed rocks. Jesus said this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent 
and believe in the gospel. Repent, turn from your idols, turn from your way of life, and turn to God. See, this is not a suggestion. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and come forward and maybe if you feel like it, to, to repent. This is not, you know, you know, you should add this to your daily uh, requirements of things of you trying to be good on a daily basis. Repentance is not a suggestion. It's not even something that, you know, it's a command. It's a, de- it's a command. And it dema- it re- the resurrection demands this type of repentance. Jesus didn't say, let me see you raise your hands. He says, no, repent, repent. When the apostles were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, they said, what should we do? And the first thing they said, well, they didn't say raise your hand. He said, repent and be baptized. And today we're going to have a, a picture of baptism. Repentance. Repentance is what we need to do. And we need to get repentance right. We need to try to understand what repentance is and how it is that repentance has a lot to do with my lifestyle. You see, and I want to just go from, I heard this from a man named Paul Washer, a preacher, a missionary, and it just makes a lot of sense. I want to kind of give you his understanding and his definition of repentance. To repent is to realize that your thinking, your entire view about reality is wrong. Everything you think, everything you see, everything you do, everything that you believe in is wrong. And when you repent, see, repent comes from two words, metanoia, metanoia. Meta is transformation or another word for uh, out of uh, the, the transformation part of it is, is a meta is a metamorphosize like a caterpillar metamorphosizes into a butterfly. And so you're thinking your news metanoia, noia is your knowledge or your mind, or your news is what they call it, your thinking. Your, your thinking metamorphosizes from a slug, from a worm to a butterfly. And so you stop thinking about the world the way you're thinking. This world is infusing its belief system upon you through the music, through the videos, through the, the teachings at school and college and high school and all the way down to children now. This world is infusing its ideology in you through the social justice movement, through this critical race theory, through everything else except for the word of God. And so you come to a point to understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He buried he buried your sin in the in the tomb and resurrected. And you understand that you realize that he says, you know, I I want to follow this Christ because I want to be in heaven with him when I die. So the first thing is recommended is demanded. It is a command. You repent. And repentance has to do with your mind, has to do with your thinking. You you submit to God's truth about who he is. You submit to God's truth about who you are. You submit to God's truth about who Jesus is. And and to see and to submit God's truth about what he has done for you. Now the question is, have you repented? Have you changed your mind? Have you changed your mind? Has that truth, has it changed your mind to to lead a a changed life and intellect? Has the change of your mind led to change of your will? Has a change of your mind led a change of your emotions? Because when you change your mind, your mind, your will, and your emotions are all tied up to that. Because what you think is what you're going to believe, and what you believe is what you're going to do. And if you think that you're lazy... You're going to feel emotionally lazy 
and your actions are going to be lazy. If you think that you're strong, you're going to feel strong and your actions are going to be strong. If you think that you can do nothing good, then you're going to feel like you can do nothing good. Then you're going to act like you do nothing good. You need to repent. And let Jesus Christ transform your life. There is a verse in the scriptures, Romans chapter 12, that says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. Don't let this world pattern change you, squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed, be metamorphosized by the renewing of your mind. Renew your mind to what? To what Jesus Christ is, who he is. And it changes your will and it changes your emotions and it changes your mind. Repentance is a change of mind. And some people think, well, that's kind of superficial. You know, I can change my mind about anything. You know, I wanted, I wanted to come to church today, but then I decided not to. Or I wanted to go somewhere else, but I decided to come here. I change my mind all the time. No, it's more than that. It's your emotion. It's your will. It's everything about you. Absolutely everything about you would change your emotions, your will, and your actions. The mind is the very control center of everything you are. Your will, your emotions, and your actions. Now, what Paul Washer does is he takes this example of Paul. And I love this example. I want to share it with you of this man named Saul. And it's in the Bible, there's a, there's a name, a Pharisee by the name of Saul. In his mind, he believed that Jesus was the greatest false prophet that ever walked the planet. In his mind, he believed that Jesus, the Christ, those, that one that they crucified and they say that he resurrected, was the greatest threat to Judaism. In his mind, Saul thought that the, great, that the Christians were the greatest enemies of God. In his mind, Saul believed that the Christians were the enemies of God people. In his mind, he believed that the Christians should be imprisoned or killed. Because he believed that in his mind, his will was to destroy anyone who believed such. And he went out to hunt them down. And he went out to eradicate as many of them as possible. As a matter of fact, when one of the disciples was preaching the word of God, they arrested him and they told he, he was telling the Pharisees and the leaders that arrested him, you guys killed this man. He was innocent. He's the Messiah. And they got mad and they stoned him. And this Pharisee, Saul, was standing there giving approval. And he was guarding their coats. He says, yeah, this is exactly what we want to see in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, because he thought in his mind that Jesus was the greatest threat to their religion. That was his thought in his mind, and, and that the Christians were enemies of God. And so with God's emotion, in, in Acts chapter 3, verse 8, it says, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, and he dragged off men, women, and committed them in prison. That, those were his actions, he, because he believed what he was doing was right. And his emotions were affected by his mind as well. In Acts chapter 9, it says, And Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He was breathing. He was just, every breath was, I got to kill him. I got to get him. I gotta, and that, those were his, he was emotionally charged because of his wrong thinking. And he asked for these letters to go to Damascus so that if he can find any that belonged to the, they called it the way at that time, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And on his way to Damascus, he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. He had an encounter that changed his mind. And Saul became Paul. And he's the one that wrote the letter that we're going to be reading, that we read today. 
And for him, all of a sudden, he realized he was standing before the resurrected of Jesus Christ. And the one he had persecuted and blasphemed and hated, he realized that he was wrong about everything. He was wrong about his thinking. He was wrong about his actions. He was wrong about his emotions. He was wrong. He was wrong. He was wrong. And repentance has to do with your thinking of how you think about life and how you think about what's going on in your life and how it is that you do life. And understanding, come to realize that repentance has to change your life. When you encounter Jesus Christ, it changes your life. It does. It's not just a Sunday thing that I do. It's just not a regular prayer that I pray. Now I lay me down to sleep. It's not rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. I talk to God all the time. I believe in God. He believes in me. I know that he exists. He knows that I exist. He knows that I exist. In James chapter 2, it says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? You have faith? You believe in God? Great. You have, yeah, but let me see what you do. See, it's because of your actions. What you think is what you're going to do. You have to have works. And this is James, Jesus' brother, saying this, the, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Can that type of faith save him? In James chapter 2, I think this is in your outlines as well. But someone will say, you have faith? Well, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. You know, it's, it's interesting that there are a lot of Christians that believe in God. Oh, yeah, I believe in God. And they don't even shudder at their sin. They don't even shudder at their life. They don't even shudder at the things that they do or say or happens around their life. They don't. But the demons do. The demons, oh, they know who Jesus Christ is. The demons know what Jesus Christ is going to do to them at the end time. The, de the demons know that one day that he is going to come. They recognize him as the son of God of, of the most high. They recognize him. As a matter of fact, they recognize his power when one of them met Jesus Christ. Actually, a legion of them met Jesus Christ in one man. The demon says, we know your power. We know you're from, from God. We know that you are the son of the most high. We know that you are God incarnate. And he even bowed down before him to worship him. And if he could have, he probably would have sang some songs. And he knew that, he, he even said, what have you to do with us before the appointed time? He even knew that there was an appointed time for their sinful lifestyle. And they knew it was then. And he says, okay, we know you have the power. Cast us into that herd of swine, the herd of pigs. And, and that's exactly what Jesus did. And the, the man was liberated. Demons know. And demons have an understanding. Like many people in the world, they understand who Jesus Christ is. They know who he is. Many of them go to church. Many of them understand and read and probably even read the Bible. But there is no genuine repentance. There is no understanding that, you know what, I'm wrong about my thinking. I'm wrong. As a matter of fact, James goes on to say in chap chapter 2, verses 26, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. See, you can't have a body and a spirit detached. It goes hand in hand. You say you believe? Well, let me see it. This is what James says. Prove it. I ain't got to prove nothing to you. No, you don't. You don't have to prove anything to me. Not to me, you don't. But guess what? When the time comes, 
it would be, it's going to be accounted for. You will be asked, what did you do with what my son Jesus Christ did for you? Number two, the resurrection, when we understand the resurrection, we desire to serve God. We desire to serve God. We desire to be in God's presence. We desire to be with God's people. We desire to be in church. That's what we want to do. I don't have to go. I want to go. I get to go. They're going to let me come in, even though I'm a sinner. And I'm, I'm your pastor. And I am a sinner that is saved by grace. I have never, ever, at least I hope I haven't, gave you, given you the illusion that I'm perfect, and I'm not. I'm just like every other sinner. The only difference is that I am saved by grace. And it's because of his grace that I have entrance into the, the holy of holies, into a place where I can come and be understood and understand others as well with my same dilemma that we work together. Now, being a sinner doesn't mean I continue to sin. Being a sinner, you see, when you desire God, you, you don't want to desire your sin anymore. Your sin has been put aside. And, and, and do I sin? Yes, I end up back going back to my thoughts, my actions, some of the things I say, some of the things I do. But that sin always, always causes me to just want to vomit, just want to puke. Just, man, it makes me sick to know of the things that I've done and things that I've said. I ask God, Lord, please help me. I confess my sin to you. You know, and, and, and I confess it to God, and, and sometimes I'll find somebody that I can confess it to. The Bible says, if you want healing, you confess your sins to one another. And, and we, we work together through this because none of us are perfect, and, but our desire is to be here. Our desire, that, that, and that should grow even more so. And you never, ever out-desire God. Never. That is one thing that continues to grow and continues to grow and continues to grow. I was talking with a friend just recently about this one topic. And he says to me, you know, Pastor, I, I, I understand that there's a lot of Christians out there that, you know, they've gotten to the point of, you know, I'm 65 now. I'm, I'm going to retire. And, you know, I think I've done my time. So I'm just going to go out and travel and retire and go to you know, parts of the world. Me and my wife are going to jump in a Winnebago and just go. Because, you know, I, I, I'm good. I'm all right. You know, I've done enough. Beloved, you could never, ever, ever do enough. One day before Bill, uh, Billy Graham passed away, a very influential pastor, I won't give his name, came to go see Billy Graham, and he was mentored by Billy Graham. And, and, and as Billy is there in his, in his very weakened state, and he's dying, you know, just basically, you know, and, and you know, the, the guy just went over to, you know, I just want to thank you for your influence upon my life and how you fed and you've taken care of me and, you know, all the things that you've done for me. I just want you to know that I'm ever grateful. And if I don't ever get a chance to tell you this in person, I know I'll be able to, get to tell you this in heaven. But I wanted to meet with you and visit with you. And, you know, Graham is just kind of sitting there, okay, and he picks up his Bible. He says, here you go. Can you do me a favor? He goes, what? He goes, feed me. Feed me by the word. And the guy says, <laughs> you want me to? Yeah. I, I, I need to hear God's word still. And, and one of the things that pastors sometimes do is they, they're constantly in the word of God and feeding and feeding, and they need to be fed as well. And his desire, his thought, John MacArthur, he's like 86 years old now, and he fell just recently and broke his wrist uh, during a conference, and, and he still gets up, and he preaches, and he preaches, and he studies, and he goes on. He's still writing books, he's and he says, you know what, I'm, I'm barely starting to scratch the surface. 
lot of these older pastors that have been around, you, you know, people, of men of God that continue to desire God even more so and, and more so, beloved, do not let that fire drown out. Because you see, when they repented and they turned from God, they started to serve the true God. Jesus said this, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Worship, serve, worship, serve, worship, serve. Joshua said in Joshua 24, 15, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In the Old Testament, every time it is talked about serving and serving and serving, when you serve God, it's interesting. You know, how, how do you serve God? How do you do that? How do you minister to God? Well, we're ministers. We minister to God first and then to one another. How do we do that? You know, how, how do you minister to God? How do you serve God? Well, we serve God by serving one another. We serve God by loving him. Every time that the Bible is talking about serving God, it's talking about worshiping him and loving him. And in the Old Testament, every time the word serve God is, is employed, it's most of the time it's Right after he says, stay away from idols and serve God. Stay away from serving Baal and serve God. Stay away from the wretchedness and serve God. Stay away from your life that you repented from and serve God. And there needs to be a, a distinction of what I used to be and what I am now. A lot of people that are born again, they're just born right again to what they used to be before. There is no transformation. There is no change. And it's a very serious thought to even think so that some should check their repentance. Because when we get to heaven, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 15, it says, Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. See, we have to learn how to serve God now. Because when we get to heaven, that's exactly what we're going to be doing. We're going to be serving him day and night. If there is a day and night in heaven, we're going to be serving him continuously. Number three, we anticipate the return of Jesus. When Paul says, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. The the great thing about gathering as church, as a church, ecclesia, as a group of the same thought, the same mind, the same focus, the same Christ. The thing about gathering with one another is that when we gather, we gather in expectation. The very first gathering after Jesus Christ's resurrection was on the first day of the week. Jesus resurrected and showed himself on the first day of the week to the women. He resurrected and he was there. And then the disciples that were going to uh, Emmaus, we talked about that on Friday, they, they, they saw Jesus Christ. He, uh, he appeared before them, or actually he revealed himself to them after hours of Bible study with Jesus. And as soon as they saw Jesus Christ, they ran back to Jerusalem. And as they are telling the disciples what they saw, Jesus reappears again. And, we ent and from that point forward, every day they would get together. Maybe he'll show up today. Maybe he'll show up today. He didn't show up again till the very first day of the next week. He shows up again. 
there was a guy named Thomas. Thomas says, I don't believe you guys saw him. We, we did. Watch. Let's get to, he came together when we all got together. We started talking about him, and, and then he showed up. And he didn't, I told him, I don't believe you guys. You know, but he did. And so Thomas, on the first day of the week, Thomas says, you know what? Unless I put my fingers in his hands and in his side, then I will believe. And at that point, Jesus shows up. Here I am, Thomas, on the first day of the week. The following first day of the week, he shows up again. And then the next day of the week, the fourth time, this is when he ascended into heaven. So every first day of the week, Jesus Christ appeared. And ever since then, we have been meeting on the first day of the week and awaiting his return. That's why we meet on the first day of the week. I know there's an argument for Sabbath and everything else, but, but the first day of the week, we gather to encourage one another. Look what the Bible says here in Hebrews chapter 10. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. We shouldn't be neglecting to meet together, as it is the habit of some. You know, and many people aren't here today because, well, they're preparing for Easter. They got barbecues to go to, family to tend to. They got parks they got to reserve. There's spots they got to be taken. It's a beautiful day. In San Bernardino, after all this rain and cold and snow, you know, that's, that's the last place I want to be. And unfortunately, that's exactly what happens when there is no genuine repentance. There's no desire for God. There's no anticipation of Jesus Christ returning because everything else is more important. The idols, we don't call them idols, but that's what they are. Some people are in the habit of doing this. Something more important comes up. Something more important happens. People show up, things to do. And we only meet once a week and Wednesdays for those in Bible study. And it just so happens, but I've worked hard all week, you know, and this is Sunday and it's a beautiful day. And, you know, come on, what do you expect from me? Uh, well, you know, I don't expect nothing from you, but God expects you to be with his beloved saints. He expects for you to be there. Because, number one, you said you repented. Number two, you said you want to follow Jesus Christ. And number three, you said you're wanting to await his recovery. You want, you want to go to heaven, don't you? And you oh, of course I do. Yeah, okay, well, you, you said you're, you've repented. If you said that you, you are waiting his return, if you said that you want to serve God, then why go. You need to be there. And, and that's going to be the deciding factor for a lot of people. You can say all you want like the demons do, but you know what? If you don't have any works... Basically, God is saying, you really don't have the faith. You really don't. And so Paul, uh, the writer to the Hebrews says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. This is why we gather, to stir one another to love. You know, there's, unfortunately for some churches and a lot of churches, not, not here, I, I'm not going to say that, there's some unlovable people in churches. You just can't love them. It's, it's, well, it's not that you can't, but it's just, you just don't want to. You want to stay away from them. But in our church, everybody is lovable, okay? Just, just so you know, that's why I call you beloved. <laughs> and, and we gather together because we are being stirred together in love, and God teaches us how to love one another and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's going to come. I keep hearing this over and over again. If Jesus Christ was ever going to come, it would be right or about now. And things have just gotten so bad. People are trying to pray everything back into its existence. 
People are trying to do whatever they can to make it come back to where it's supposed to be at, under the authority of God. But beloved, this is what's supposed to happen before the end happens, before the end comes. The church is going to get persecuted. And that's just, those are the things that are going to happen. Titus tells us, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce this ungodly idol, this worldly passion, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. How do we live? Well, first of all, how do we get trained to renounce ungodliness? In other words, to say, you know, that's, that's not of God. I don't want anything to do with that. How do you do that to a, a child that has been indoctrinated by the school system saying, well, this is the new norm. This is what you can do now. This is how you can do it. And you don't even have to tell your parents about that. How do you go about that? How do you instruct a child to be able to make the right decision? How, how, do, you, how do you instruct a, a, a co-worker that is being told that the, these are the things that you must do? but they're ungodly. Well, it doesn't matter. How do you instruct a person to, to follow through with their commitment to Christ? And see, one of the things that happens within the church and within the body is that we, we learn these things. They're not tactics. We learn these truths. And then we put them into practice. I, I, I'll give you testimony upon testimony, not only of mine, of other people that have stood their ground in the Word of God, and they've been able to advance the gospel. They have they, Nothing happened to them. Most people are afraid of what God's going to do. Most people are afraid and know that God's wrath is coming. And so the Titus says that we learn how to live self-controlled and upright godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great Savior, God, and, Jesus, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter says the same thing, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt away. Everybody knows that there's going to be an end time. Everybody knows that Jesus Christ is coming. And for those that don't believe in the end time or the second coming of Christ, uh, I just want you to know, as we went through the Old Testament on Friday, I only touched on a few verses, which were a lot, and there were a lot, bunch more. There are over 300 prophecies stating that Jesus Christ was going to come the first time. You know that there are three times as many, almost a thousand prophecies talking about his second coming. If he came the first time, he'll be here the second time. Titus goes on to say, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as Peter said, you know, as we wait, because of which the heavens will one day be set on fire and dissolved. It's going to happen. And that's our last point, number four. We are delivered from God's wrath. Let me go back to First, first Thessalonians. For they, for they themselves report, report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. I was asked one time when I says, you know, you should, you should pray and and ask God to forgive you and save you. He says, save me from what? What is he going to save me from? From my sin, from my alcoholism, from my drug addiction, from my womanizing. What is he going to save me from? Well, God is going to save you from himself. That's what he's going to save you from. 
You see what, what Titus, what, uh, excuse me, what Paul says to the, the people in Thessalonians, Thessalonians, he says, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. There's a wrath that's coming. And that wrath is from God, not from anyone else. God is going to unleash his wrath. As a matter of fact, in Romans 1, 18, it says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. I think this is a, a truth that is not proclaimed much. It's not very popular, to be honest with you, in churches. As a matter of fact, many people have left here because I try to, sh when it comes to it, and we're going to talk about that when we get to verse 9 and 10 again, the wrath of God. The wrath of God. Jesus talked more about the wrath of God. He talked about hell. He talked about, uh, you know, getting saved and getting out of that. He talked about that more than anything, more than love. He talked about the, the, the what's going to happen to people that, that sin and, and more than anything else. And unfortunately, the reason a lot of our society is where it's at today is because the wrath of God isn't preached anymore. It's not proclaimed. We kind of shrug it off. Eh, it's not going to be no big thing. I'll be in hell with all my friends partying. You know, we're going to have a good time. You know what? Matter of fact, I don't think Satan's going to want me there because he's afraid I'm going to take over. You know, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll be all right. And, and we, we laugh at it and we scoff at it. People dress up as demons and, and devils and whatnot. And we, we watch it on TV and, uh, you know, the, the Emmy Awards. And, uh, you know, we, yeah, we celebrate it because it was cool. It looks nice. And they're just flaunting their stuff all over before God and before the nation. And thinking and believing that it's not going to phase me. I'm, I'll be all right. Well, the Bible says that it is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness of men. And because of that, because of the ungodliness of people, God's wrath is being revealed. As a matter of fact, and, if, and, and they suppress the truth. Here's the, you don't need to know that truth. Here's the truth that I want you to know. You're not a boy. You're not a girl. You're just whatever you want to be. And when the Bible teaches different, you know, you're not a man. You're not a woman. You can be whatever you want to be. You're not, you know, don't worry about, you know, religion. And religion just, somebody once told me, says, you know, when I was growing up, the reason I hate religion is because it was forced down my throat. I hate religion because my parents just forced it upon me. And I just hate it. They just get all angry. I go, well, that's kind of hypocritical of you, isn't it? So well, what do you mean? Well, I'm sure your parents forced you to do a lot of things that you didn't want to do. Like, I'm sure they faced, forced you to go to bed early, right? Or to go to bed at all. Are you mad at them for making you go to bed? Do you not go to bed now? They probably, made, they probably forced you to eat your vitamins and, and your minerals and probably vegetables. Do you not eat vegetables anymore because they forced you? They force you to go to, you know, parents do what they d think is best for you. You got to go to bed early. You should eat your vegetables. You should eat, you know, good stuff. You, you should go to church. Like Chuck Smith once said, you know, when I was a kid, I had a drug problem. My parents drug me to church. And that's exactly what has to happen sometimes because kids don't know any better. And then they grow up with this chip on their shoulder. I hate religion. What about everything else? Do you hate everything else? No, just an excuse. Ephesians 5, 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. 
Colossians 3, 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Over and over again. The wrath of God, the wrath of God, the wrath of God, the wrath of God. It's coming. It's happening. When Jesus Christ returns, that's what's going to happen. Beloved, believe it. It's not a fairy tale. And, and I, don't, I don't want, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to see any of you. I, 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 I do my best to at least to warn you. I mean, if you were driving down the road and I knew that the bridge was out ahead of you, I would jump in front of your car to stop you. You're going to run out. You're going to run out of road. You're going to you're going to you and your family are going to plunge to the depths of the bottom of that ravine because there is no bridge there. I would do everything I can. To make sure that you don't go down that road. Oh, don't tell me how to live my life. You are. You just want to judge me. You just want to tell me what to do. You know, who are you to judge? As you're driving down the road. You know, and, and it's unfortunate that that's not one thing, you know, we're, we're teaching people how to disobey. And, you know, some of you are probably amazed and, you know, wondering, you know, what are you guys still doing here after all these years? And, you know, there's only a couple of you guys here. But you know what? The people that are here, they understand this message. They understand this message and they've invested their lives into this, into this ministry. And it's not a very popular ministry. It isn't. It's not a very popular message. Uh, it, it doesn't feel good, I know. And I make no apologies for it. Uh, and and I, I, I want you to understand that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what he endured, you got to know how deep the Father's love for us. You got to understand that. If you've never seen the passion of the Christ, I am... I beg you, just look at the passion. Look at the, the, the persecution, what Jesus Christ literally went through. And that's just a picture. He did that for you. Today, we celebrate the fact that he did that on Friday, but he resurrected on this first day of the week. And because of him, because of him, because of the resurrection, it, it demands for us to repent. Many have repented. And we struggle with it. It's not an easy thing to do because that world just has a hold on me and us. And it just keeps, my flesh keeps craving those things of the world. But by the grace of God, I'm able to overcome. And every time I overcome, I overcome a little bit more and a little bit more. And I desire God and I desire less of the world. And I stay and I serve the living God because I desire Him. And because I'm desiring Him, I'm anticipating, Lord, hurry up. I don't know if I can hang on any longer. Every day is a struggle. And every day I pray, Lord, help me through this day and return. But, but wait, wait, not yet, Lord, because my family's not saved. My kids are not saved. My grandchildren are not saved. My brothers are not saved. And, and we pray and we pray. And Lord, just take your time. And God is being patient because, but, but you know, we anticipate it to happen at any moment. And because we anticipate it, we know that regardless of when it happens that, and when it happens, we know because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are delivered from his wrath. We're delivered. I can confidently stand here and say that. Many of us can confidently stand up here and say that. Today, somebody's going to get baptized because they truly, confidently believe exactly that. They know that their wrath is no longer upon them because Jesus Christ took it on the cross. You see, what Jesus did is he just unleashed 
your sin, my sin, the world's sin. And it was such a dark day that the Bible says that the sun just wouldn't give his light anymore. And it trembled. The world just trembled. And it was so powerful an event that the graves were opened up and dead people walked out or walking around wondering, what happened? It was such a, 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 a huge celestial event that it, the world just cried. And everything from that point forward has changed. And that's the message of the cross. You want to know why the cross? The cross is because he loves you. God sent his only son. That when you believe, you will not perish. It's not this demon belief. And you will have everlasting life. That's the cross. That's why the cross. And when you understand that, it changes your life. Let me ask you to stand. And those that are going to get baptized, if you can go and get ready now. And uh, James, and I wonder if you can help them. And while, while they're leaving, let me ask you to bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, I thank you so much that this season, this time of the year, that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we have refused to call it Easter with eggs and bunnies. I thank you, Lord, for the joy that those things bring a child, and even to some extent, adults. I thank you that they receive new gifts and, and clothing, that they are showered with love, and I, I thank you, Father, that they are enjoying that time. But help us not to forget and always to remember that it is the resurrection. It's your resurrection. Well, what you've done for us. Lord, and I pray you help us to, to come to a point of repentance, to turn to you from idols, from things of this world, to desire to serve you even more so, and anticipate your return because we're delivered from the wrath to come. And I know, Lord, that this message is not a seeker-friendly message. I know that there's people that are still contemplating. But more importantly, Lord, I pray right now that people come to a place where they can repent in their heart and turn away from their sin and turn to you and recognize that the power of the cross is power sufficient enough to help us through every day, one day at a time. You taught us how to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Not weekly, not monthly, but daily. And it's not just a once a, an event time where I repent to come forward and cry. And Lord, it, it's always been a daily process. As we walk together and we work together and we, we serve together and we, we love together. So, Father, I thank you for this, this moment, this time, this season that we have of the resurrection of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, for those that are knowing that there needs to be repentance in their life, I pray that they can pray a simple prayer by saying, Have mercy on me, God. I am a sinner. I was wrong on the ways that I thought about my life. I was wrong about how I lived my life. I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. And I want to change my life right now. And Father, I pray that with your 
help in my life that you can give me the change that needs to happen. Father, and I pray for anyone that is praying that prayer right now, that you give them the courage to stand up and to continue to move forward. Father, once again, we thank you for, for all that you do, your word, your presence, and all that you have and all that you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen and amen. All right. Go and enjoy some time with your family. Oh, stick around for the, um, so we have, I think, coffee and donuts and stuff. And, and we want to help you to, to be with us and hope you enjoy this baptism that's going to take place here in just a minute. Amen? All right.